Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we've got another fantastic edition of Getting to the Point, our series focusing on the importance of nutrition and fitness in the modern game with our friends over at Aerobar. Of course, we've had so many outstanding guests on the show thus far, people like Jay Berger, Michael Russell, Laura Embry, Trip Phillips, Billy Pate, Malavia Washington, the list goes on and on and on, and that's a credit, of course, to our friends Mark Aerosmith and Andrew Golub, but it's allowed us to explore so many fascinating aspects of the game, right? How has training changed for high-level tennis players over the past 30 years? What are the opportunities available for players now where they can get an edge that wasn't previously offered to them as athletes? And, you know, today we've got another great guest to speak about those topics. He, of course, is a former All-American at the University of Florida, someone who has coached players at the junior level, collegiate level, professional level, and even adult level. Damon Hankel joins the show, of course, to talk about all of those topics, and then a little bit about his career as well, talk about how he got into tennis, what it was like for him going through the juniors when he decided to focus on tennis alone, uh, and, you know, how specialization, athletes specializing at such early ages, how, you know, his thoughts on that, and, you know, what the benefits of playing other sports for young athletes, but, you know, it's a really fun conversation as well, because as you listeners know, I always enjoy exploring myself a little bit of 1990s tennis and we got to do that in this one as well. Damon, part of some really special Florida teams, that 1994 SEC championship winning team. We have a little bit of fun talking about that as well. Uh, And then, you know, Damon, big pickleball player. So we talk a little bit of pickleball action uh, and then just, you know, the usual fun we have on these sorts of episodes. So, of course, I look forward to all of you listeners hearing our conversation. I do also want to say a couple of quick things before we get into the episode one. If you are looking for any French Open coverage, you have missed any of the action in Paris, be sure to go check out our website, CrackRackets.com, whether it's our mini break podcast where we've covered every day of this event, whether it's our Great Shot podcast where we give our picks each morning for our aces of the day. And of course, Jamie and I did an eight-day-ish recap of the first eight days there, gave some takes for how we think this championship weekend's going to unfold. Some of the big storylines we also think have already emerged from this French Open. We talked about them. You can find those on our YouTube. YouTube channel, a mustached version of Jamie and myself recording those videos. You can also hear that on the Great Shot podcast feed. And then, of course, Inside Out, season one of that podcast, if you have not listened to it, the history, who was the best American male player at any given point of the open era. Really fun podcast series. I know all of you listeners will enjoy, so if you have not, go check that out wherever you listen to your shows. Of course, the reason we are able to do these podcasts day in, day out here at Crack Records because of the support we get from our friends at Aerobar and Midwest Sports. We talk about it all the time and this series in particular, but you know, there aren't that many specific tennis nutrition options. There's only one tennis-specific energy bar in the business, and that is our friends at Aerobar. It's great nutrients. You're putting good stuff in your body, delicious cinnamon, honey oat, and chocolate chip flavors. And of course, it comes with this podcast as well. So if you want to get yourself some Aerobar, and I'm telling you, it is going to make the difference. It's going to give you that extra 5 extra 10%. And you know, it's not a five-hour energy. You're not like, oh my god, I just injected all of these things. But it's just the slow-burning energy source you need uh, to get you through the grind of a tennis so go to aerobar.com, use our promo code CRACKED15. Not only will you get 15% off your order, but you'll let them know that we sent you there. And so be sure to go check them out. And then, of course, if you have any tennis equipment needs, whether it be rackets, strings, shoes, grips, shirts, uh, you can find it all 
at our friends Midwest Sports with our friends at MidwestSports.com. Use our promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order. You'll get free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And best of all, you'll get that free can of Wilson extra duty tennis balls for all of your tennis equipment needs. Just go to MidwestSports.com. But with that in mind, let's get to today's episode of Getting to the Point in our conversation with former All-American and pro tennis coach Damon Hank. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining us now on the podcast, he is a former three-time All-American at the University of Florida. He then went on to a fairly successful pro career and, of course, now is a tennis coach. Damon Hankel. Damon, welcome to the Getting to the Point podcast. How are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I am doing... uh, Yeah, it is our pleasure. Absolutely. It's not often we get to hang out with multiple-time All-Americans. You know, usually I'm stuck with Mark and Andrew, so it's nice to, you know, really have some talent on the show. Yeah, well, more importantly, it's... uh... It's good to have a gator compared to the two hurricanes you got on the other line there. So, yeah, that, that's probably uh, better. That's <laughs> terrible. Yeah, no. We'll, we'll get it out of the way early because, obviously, they don't play as football frequently as much as they used to. But Florida-Miami, that's a real interstate rivalry, right? It's Absolutely. not just gators Absolutely. versus the Can- – It's not just, you know, versus the Seminoles. Yes, exactly, exactly. It's a whole – it's a state rivalry, yeah. yeah. You got it right. No, Love to hear that, and obviously we are so happy to have you here today to talk about your background in the sport, and I want to get to your college tennis years, but let's even okay. go before that. How does Damon Hankel pick up his first racket? Uh, picked up my first racket with my dad. Um, he was playing quite a bit. He was a 3-5, 4-0 player, playing a lot of singles, and he cut a wooden racket. And so, you know, today they didn't have junior rackets when I started playing. So that was obviously a few years ago, but he would cut down a wooden racket and uh, I actually still have that racket. I was four years old and he would play with me in the driveway and um, just watching him play a lot. And I really just started loving it. So he, he would bring me to the courts. I'd watch him and then he'd hit with me and then. It took off from there where he was hitting with me pretty much every day when I was started probably a little bit seriously when I was about seven years old. So, yeah. mm-hmm. No, I want to explore that further because now obviously you can find your Prince, your Prince Hammer at your local Walmart, <laughs> right? You can pick up that kid's racket whenever you'd like. But so you're actually out there crafting the racket. You're like, we're going to make this frame size 82 inches and it's going to be perfect. Exactly. <laughs> that's funny yeah yes exactly basically that's uh the gist of it so yeah he, he it was a little it was little so it was it was yeah it's kind of neat because it's a neat memento to have but uh yes you can buy any racket now yes yeah no and i'm sure back in those days home ec was actually still a class and so they were like here a plus for your home ec project congratulations you brought in your racket but you know you sort of talked about it you started getting serious seven eight years old then people who play pro uh pro tennis people who play junior tennis go on to play college tennis they know what that commitment looks like it's traveling around the country it's you know going from tournament to tournament and trying to just play as many matches as you can to build up your ranking when did that process start for you and looking back you know did you enjoy that process what are your memories of you know your time as a junior I loved it um you know I I loved it I probably started playing tournaments when I was eight nine years eight years old and my dad would take me to probably two a month and when I was doing that you know immediately I loved it I loved watching it on tv I loved watching Jimmy Connors because you know, he was my, my favorite player, so I, I didn't miss many matches of his. But I locally would play tournaments. We grew up in a place called Satellite Beach, Florida, over on the east coast of Florida, small small city. 
and I started there with a coach. I'd have one lesson a week for 30 minutes on Monday nights. I remember Monday nights, and then uh, the rest of the week, my I would I would drill with my dad. And probably about nine years old, ten years old, he he made me call some adults, like three, five, and four, four, oh, four, five adults, and I would call them nine, ten year old. 10 year old calling a 40 year old asking if he'd play with them. And so obviously my dad had set that up before. So I had about three guys that I would, I would play with, you know, and they were, uh, I could hang with them. And then obviously at some point I was, I, I was beating them, but, uh, that would, my, my schedule was either hit with my dad for a couple hours or play matches with some of those guys. And so, um, that my probably from eight to 12, I did that and, and playing a ton of tournaments, traveling, you know, traveling all over Florida and then eventually obviously the United States. But the tournament uh, thing for me probably ramped up around eight years old, nine years old and, you know, a couple of months. And, and yeah, it was great. It was great. I loved it. I loved mm-hmm. it. And, and, mm-hmm. and that sounds so different from the traditional developmental path you hear now. And, you know, I know Mark, you can comment on this as well, but so many young players, it's they're taking lessons early on and they're not playing tournaments until they think they're ready to start winning. Uh, I want to start again with you, Damon. Do you think that's just the wrong path? How valuable was that match play? Is that match play experience particularly early on in a young player's career? Yeah, I think it's huge because you, you know, especially in boys, boys like to play, you know, we don't like to practice as much. We like to play. Let's go. You know, like we like to tee it up. We're, we're, you know, especially, you know, you know, as a coach, I, I coach girls and boys. And so girls typically they they like to practice a lot, a lot more than boys that are eight to 10 or 12 years old, but they just want to play. And I was typical in that way. And so for me, playing you know five six matches in a weekend was ultimately it was practice you know you you learn how to win you got to learn how to win and so for me i'm i'm about playing them i'm about playing them i think that you know there there's there's different philosophies but me going through it the way I did, I think you, you should play because it gets old just practicing and, and, and you need to you need to do it. And I, I, I even tell my, my parents that I coach now that, look, when they're playing, uh, I look at if they played three or four matches, I look at like practice, you know. And, and so you you develop certain things that you can't be taught and you have to play certain things come up and you know you it, it's learning to deal with yourself adversity there's so many there's so many things that come up so you definitely in in my my experience you know i, I definitely uh, was that that helped my my career for big time um, because it's I needed that I needed a competition I needed to have that the ebbs and flows and the ups and downs emotionally you don't really get you don't get that if you're practicing all the time you can get a little bit but not nearly to the to the disappointment and to the excitement of winning and the disappointment of losing so you know tennis is a roller coaster ride so the earlier you start on that ride in my opinion the better because you're gonna you're gonna go through it all and, and so the, the quicker you go through it the the tougher you get and so that's that's ultimately my philosophy so yeah i think it helped me a lot no i i I think that's very fair and mark i want to ask you this same question and you know i know andrew will be on the line as well i know he's uh you know uh, we'll hear from him a little bit later too but mark you you know you're coaching all these kids now and so often you see kids who are chasing utr right they want to just jump their utr and they're not even going to play an event unless there's someone they can beat who they think is going to help build that what are your thoughts on you know how important match play is early on in development i mean i i think it's great i mean i've actually loved the last you know six or seven months from a coaching standpoint because there weren't a lot of tournaments for kids to play and there wasn't this oh well so-and-so is playing this and they're going to get these points and i got to go do this like i had my my kids were playing tons of practice matches tons of you know getting out with some of the adults and i mean that's how i mine's a little weird when i moved to florida my tennis got my tennis training was worse because i moved to jacksonville and just the junior tennis is not uh not great but I grew up in I grew up in Virginia, um, playing. We've had Trip Phillips, who's the coach at University of North Carolina, uh, Chapel Hill. On, I grew up in the same neighborhood as Trip, and we would ride our bikes down and play like ten sets of tennis, you know. And one of them you got to serve a volley, and one of them you got to slice everything, and one you know. And it's 
you know, it's, it teaches you all the stuff that kind of a lesson doesn't teach you. So yeah, it's, I, I think it's great. I'm sure now more than ever players uh, or parents or whomever it may be who are playing uh, have feel the, felt the absence of those tournaments. I completely agree with you. And so we'll see them sign up now. But to get back to you, Damon, obviously, you know, you mentioned you start playing t- tournaments at 12. You're having a little bit of success. I see this 1990 boys 16s Kalamazoo, a nice three set third round exit to number nine seeded Jim Thomas. And obviously, uh, you know, you start to take your tennis more seriously. You start to travel across the country country at what point for you does tennis become the sole focus sporting wise because you know we've talked before on this podcast about specialization uh, specialization for these athletes it's a great word to say uh specialization I'm, I'm fumbling through it leave it all in the point being <laughs> you know picking one sport and sticking with that sport specializing in that sport um specializing so much easier than specialization uh unbelievable yeah. anyway sorry i'm stuck <laughs> on this point here um but for you when did tennis become the sole focus when was this okay if i'm gonna pursue a sport in college it's going to be this so i was actually i remember it uh so i played soccer and i loved it i played every saturday played some practice and then seven eight nine ten and and then as i started playing a lot of tournaments at 10 years old 11 years old and i had a ranking in the state and then by 11 i was playing my first nationals I made. I remember sitting down with my dad and mom, and they said, "Well, you know, we got all these tournaments. What do you want to do? Do you want to?" And, and and it was, it was strange because it was almost. I had to make a decision on what I wanted to do, and and tennis was definitely my future. So I decided. Obviously, I, I decided to do that then. But the the funny thing is, is that looking back, uh, I should have done it a little bit longer, a little bit longer for the soccer because I. I think that immediately when I stopped playing soccer, my conditioning and my footwork was, it went down. And so it actually, from an athletic standpoint, because tennis is an athletic event and you better be athletic. And if you're not, then you're behind the eight ball. And so for me, it it, it probably, I think I should have done it a couple more years. Now, once you get to a certain age, when you're old enough, you don't want to get hurt. And so, you know, if you're 16 years old, you have a, a better chance of getting hurt playing soccer than you do at 11. Um, so, you know, probably could have played for another year or two until I was about 12. But I started, I, I think I, I think I stopped probably around 10 or 11 playing soccer and then decided, you know, let's go full bore with the, with the tennis. Um, but, you know, looking back, like I said, it was, it was, it was the decision maybe played, I could have played a little longer, but uh, understandable because it was such a busy schedule that maybe just that didn't just work out at the time. So, Mm-hmm. No, I mean, it's, it's again, it's a tough choice for all of these parents because to succeed at a high level in juniors, right, you have to travel so frequently. You have to go to all of these different events, and uh, that becomes difficult. And so for you at that time, uh, obviously, you were having some success enough so that college coaches come calling. What ultimately led you to the University of Florida? Why was that the place you wanted to spend your college time? And, you know, for you, you, you ultimately did play some pro tennis, but did you always figure you would play, you know, four years of college? college you know as a kid everybody all the every everybody has the dreams of you know being playing at Wimbledon and all that and then you know once you get to you know a little, little bit of, of a you know teenager you realize that you're going to probably the, the, your avenue is going to have to go to school first and if you do okay after that then you, know, you can try to pursue that dream but you know probably around 15 you know 15 you know, I, I thought I was, that's where, that's where my path was going to lead me. Now, not, I didn't know it was going to lead me to the University of Florida. Obviously, I had to be wanted by them, and I had to be good enough. So, obviously, just kept playing tennis and, and, and went on some trips, different trips when I was a senior in, college, in, in high school, sorry, and junior and senior in high school, I, I I went to some Florida tennis matches because it was you know, not far away, a couple hours away north of me. So I went there and I thought it was a pretty cool, you know, pretty cool environment. And at the time, I knew some guys on the team, and uh, I talked to them. And you know, it, it, they had a lot to do with with why I wanted to go there. And I didn't really look at a lot of places. I did my senior year when I went on some recruiting trips, but 
my heart was always at Florida just because of the guys and the environment that they had there. And, and I like the coaches. Um, had two great coaches, actually. Both of them were, were awesome. And they spent they, they recruited me. And they got to know me. And so it was a pretty easy decision once it came down to it. It was just, it was easy. Now, my sister went there for four years before me. So I would go up there a lot, visit her, and then, you know, see the tennis team. So it was, it was just kind of destined to, 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 to happen since uh, I was there a lot. Mm-hmm. And obviously your time there overlapped with Mark Merklane, who I believe won an NCAA title in 94. And you look at those Florida teams, you know, there's a third place finish in 91, but there's a lot of fifths, sixths, sevenths in the SEC. In 94, you guys finish in first. Do you beat Mississippi State 4-3, I believe, uh, to clinch the uh, SEC title what was that transition like going even playing high level juniors to the highest upper echelons of college tennis and you know from an adjustment standpoint your nutrition your fitness how did those things change as you entered college tennis well like a lot of freshmen I was uh I wasn't I, I had I had a tough first year I did okay my freshman year um, that actually that year, Mark Merklin won the doubles NCAA's. Then the following year, he won uh, singles. But uh, my freshman year, we did okay. We lost in the round of 16 of NCAA's, so we were we were a good team. I I took my licks. I played anywhere from three to six. I was, you know, my my weight trainer at, after that year was was. He, he said I was a man in a boy's body, and he and he hated it. And uh, he was, we all really liked him a lot, and he was very diff, difficult. He was a very very tough coach. I uh, my sophomore year, you know, he 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 decided to take it upon himself to to help me. And in fitness, I was in condition, and I was last on the team. I was weak. I was a little bit slower than I should have been. And within four months, I became the best at the, you know, the best. I was the, the, I could do the most stadiums, the quickest. I could do a, do a lot because he, he beat me up pretty good. I actually went with at five in the morning with him off the entire fall. And I'd go with the te- the rest of the team in the afternoon with the same workout. So I did two of the same workouts. I mean, it killed me, but he, he, told me I had to and and uh it's and I wanted to and so he obviously saw something in me and he said that's what you're missing and so when that happened my game uh I just became a different player so I completely so my my sophomore year was probably my I played two and three and 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 Markland played one that year but I that year I don't believe I may have lost one match but I, I not maybe one I think that was it, and so I, I think I won all my SEC matches possibly that year. I don't I don't really remember, but I had a great year, and I ended up I, I made the round of sixteen of NCAA's that year as a sophomore, and so you know I credit it to to that type of environment and that type of my my my, my fitness and and I I like I said it was funny. You don't want as an eighteen year old the last thing you want to hear is your somebody say that you're a man in a boy's body, and so the ego is was uh obviously hurt when that was going on but i knew it and so i had to get tough and so i didn't realize that you know that it was possible to throw up by just lifting weights and he made me <laughs> so you know we i was i was petrified of the leg press we all were we were the leg press machine we were petrified of it because it would kill us and so you know that was probably in college, it was the biggest jump because, and I credit it to a lot of it because of those guys. You know, the, the strength coach. You know, it was great. I mean, they were great. They were football guys too. They were, they weren't tennis guys. They were football. They're football guys. So they were great. <laughs> so yeah, it was uh, that that that's 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 why I'm such a believer in in the in the strength and the conditioning and the nutrition aspects of of tennis. It's it's huge, huge. Yeah, you talk about. Um, I mean, obviously, I went through the same thing with uh, with Berger, who you know well. Um, I mean, I was. I mean, I didn't have a muscle in my body and was kind of <laughs> slow and out of shape. And yeah, I mean, that guy, 
basically ran me into the ground until I was playing one and two at Miami. Um, and it, it was, it was hard work, but it's worth it on that note. We've talked about this a bunch on this pod in the past. What was the, what was your nutrition like at UF? I mean, ours at Miami, we, we didn't know a lot about nutrition back then. Like how, how was yours in college? Well, you know, it was okay. Uh, we had a couple like Merklin was a, he was probably ahead of the game. He was unbelievable. He, he was, his body was very, yeah. he, he just, he was good at being smart about his diet. Most of us weren't really that great. If you want, I did, it was better. My, now as in, in the juniors, my, my nutrition was horrendous. Um, horrendous. Um, it got better in college. They talked to us about it. So then you kind of, I kind of conformed to what was going on, but even then it was bad um comparative to what it should be of today's standards if you want to know the truth and what it you know even me i play some pickleball tournaments and i'm I'm still starting i'm still doing things and i'm still pretty active and so i would do things in the middle of the tournament now that i wish i had done when i was a kid i wish i had had that that way that 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 you know the, the nutrition during during playing or during you know, competitive something, whatever that competitive thing is that I'm doing. So um, that is something that it was not as I was learning in college, but it still wasn't, you know, what it probably should have been. Now those those pickleballs cannot handle when they cannot handle when you eat an arrow bar and then and then attack, right? Exactly. Well, you know what's crazy is that a pickleball tournament starts maybe eight in the morning, and you could pl- I played one tournament and I finished at six at night, and I probably the most break I had was 30 minutes. So you're dealing with nerves and you're still doing, cause it actually, it, it's, I know as crazy as it sounds, that's the way it is. And so you do have to, from eight to six, you gotta be, you gotta, you gotta eat and you gotta be have nutrition. So you definitely need to be eating, eating, you know, the bars. It's funny because when, when I was ta- I talked to Andrew, I think him and I probably had this conversation before, but it, you know, it's a, it's funny. So if you talk to my parents growing up as a kid, I was not a good eater. What I mean is, it's not, I would eat things, but during tournaments, I didn't eat at all and I would lose too much weight. And so by the end of the tournament, I ran out of energy and I, you know, when, when Andrew, you know, and I, because obviously we work some together and so we, we had a lot of conversations. So I, you know, wish that I had had an arrow bar that, you know, my bag and I would eat it during, uh, during my matches or after, because even afterwards, I, I was, it, my dad would, he couldn't get me to force it because my nerves were, you know, I was always nervous and I just didn't eat well. And I, I didn't eat at all. I just hardly ate. I mean, it was like, it, I have a picture of me when I'm 12 and my dad's in my scrapbook and my dad wrote in there, he's like, this is a rare moment to see Damon eating because during a tournament, because I just, it, it, I didn't. And so, you know, you find it hard for certain things. You need, you need, things that are easy to eat and you also need things that are good for you at the same time and so that's not easy to find when you're you know, when you're when your nerves are, are and you're in competition not easy to find so yeah no that's um i've gone through that with a lot of people we coach i mean that's i mean even andrew and i and a lot of you know james play mike russell all of us that are involved with aerobar i mean you know they all talked about that they just didn't really know even Mike Russell, not really sure what to eat on the court, you know, back in the day. So yeah, it's everybody kind of hears it. I had an interesting question after you were just talking about how much, how hard you worked at UF, all that. Uh, you played on the team with Boyd, right? Was he on the team with you? Yes. Yeah. He was there. So like that, like that's a great example of a guy. And uh, I mean, if he were to listen to this, he can be mad at me. It's fine. Like, I mean, that is, is that the most talented guy you ever played with? Yeah, he was very talented. He had the greatest hands, probably. He had like McEnroe-esque hands. Now I grew up with him in uh, in the twelves and fourteens. So him and I, I spent the night at his house many nights, and we were friends in the twelves and fourteens. You know, we had the same coach and in, in over here. So I've known him for forever. Uh, and so he, yeah, he could have been definitely on the tour. He's one of the more talented guys that you know should have been. He could have been. Uh, you know, out there doing it. He, um, he had greatest, he had probably the, what the greatest, he had, yeah, the greatest, probably the greatest hands, you know, actual feel and, and, and being able to do things with the, with the ball. Definitely, uh, one of the greatest that I've been around. Yes. 
Yeah, I played some dubs with him uh, when he transferred to Miami. And yeah, it was, uh, I mean, he was very clear on the fact that he was not interested in working hard, um, which was okay. He was open about it. And the guy was still, he still whooped, whooped my butt um, on the court. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was good. He was good. Yeah. And how, how did you guys do that year? Uh, what was the highest you guys finished at UF? I think probably six, maybe five or six. I can't remember, to be honest with you. I mean, we won the SEC in 94, and that was probably the coolest thing on the planet ever. You know, I mean, we just had our 25-year in the last year, and all of us but one guy came back, and our coaches were there, and we, we all met at Florida. And, you know, it was uh, we got in a room, and we all hang, hung out for the weekend, and we talked about, you know, all the things that went on and what we tried to do. And it was funny because we were – we had – as a team, we had one – we had, at the beginning of January, we all talked and we're like, all right, we're not drinking. We're not doing anything. We're, we're getting a ring. We're doing it. And, uh, we all lived by it and we all did it, you know? And, uh, you know, the night we won and, uh, we won it at Alabama, you know, that, you know, we won at Alabama, uh, is where the SEC tournament was. And, you know, we won our last match there against Mississippi state and, and, uh, we we had a pretty fun night after that because we had the rest of the team out and uh, you know it was uh, it was uh, it was awesome. But we went you know think about it we went four straight months of of not of being an entire team doing things the exact way you should do it and that's what we did. We didn't we didn't go out we didn't and it, you know for sophomores seniors juniors everybody we had everybody for that for people in college to not do that is uh pretty impressive but that's what we did that sounds cool. a lot like yeah, no, that Mike. sounds a lot like me in college <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say i had a coach growing up who used to always speaking of nutrition and fitness he always used to say yeah when it became ncaa time the rule was switch from miller to miller light he's like that's the adjustment we all made and so uh obviously to hear you guys talk about this is so fun and you know um i guess do you want we'll go with the serious question first for you and you know uh you start to look at some of the names who filtered through college tennis damon during the 90s and you know okay. early, uh, late 80s or uh, throughout the 90s the Mal- malvia washington's todd martin's you, you know mark merkley and your partner chris woodruff uh james blake michael russell the list can go on and on and on you obviously went on to play pro tennis after your college career and i'm just curious how valuable was the time you had to develop in college for uh what you did not only on the pro career but later in life and is that a pathway you would recommend for those who have aspirations in tennis well yeah i mean not now, to be fair, I, I, I appreciate the, uh, the compliments and everything. I had a very, very short stint of being on the pros. I mean, it's not, a, you know, it's not an easy, obviously, lifestyle, as everyone knows. So I didn't do it uh, for very long. Having said that, I, I will tell you, I, 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 you know, I was thinking when I got out of high school, I said, you know, maybe I should do this and, and go pro instead of do this and just get a coach and do it. And if I had done that, I would have been miserable and I would have, you know, quit tennis quickly. So I, I'm, I'm so happy that I went to college, but I think that the college way going through college first and then going to tour career is going to be in, and it's going to be happening more often than it was even 20, 30 years ago, because it's because you, you do go from if you're you know if you're a male then you go from you know a boy to a man and and you and you there's a lot of life skills that you learn that you need to go and travel the world and travel on the tour and deal with adversity because the bottom line is there's going to be a ton of adversity out there and so um and, and the pathway college first and then if you're good enough and you dominate, then hey, let's go do it. You know, I mean, you know, but, but you like you look at like James Blake, for instance. You know, I I I was an assistant coach at UF when he was in, for two years when he was in college. And it's funny because I, 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 I the guy that uh guy named Jeff Morrison played him in the final actually beat James in the finals of the NCAAs. And I was with uh, him at all his tournament his individual tournaments and uh you know, Jeff was a good player, great college player, one of you know, great college tennis player, obviously, and, and so was James. But it, you know, I knew James's game extremely well, and I knew how he could beat him. And you know, there were some certain things that 
James as a player, you know, he was such an unbelievable athlete, but there was a few things in college that he had to get better at. And, you know, those things after he got done at college, he improved dramatically. And is obviously because the James Blake of uh, that was top, you know, whatever, four in the world uh, would have beaten the James. James Blake that was four in the world would have beat the James Blake who was a junior in college, obviously. And so um, it, it his pathway would seem like, uh, you know, inevitable that he was going to make it because he was such a great player and great athlete and, and he, he had a lot of tools. But, uh, you know, it's watching him from his game and how he developed through college. I did. I paid a, quite a bit of attention to him because I saw him play a ton in college and, and then also saw him play a lot after that. You know, he did. A, he learned a lot in college and he it helped him tremendously. And he's a perfect example of someone who who did it the right way. And so um, and his game style and his some of the things that he got improved on once he got on the tour was it was like whoa i mean he there's there's no more weakness and so that part was pretty cool to yeah, see and no, so that pathway I, I was definitely agree with you that, and that, that uh, obviously lot, but, it's so fun you know, to get to see uh so many of these college tennis players uh, go on to have pro success so many now whether in singles and doubles uh, all the different fashions obviously i think I, I value it's worth as a pathway moving forward hopefully all of our tennis fans listening to this do as well and they go support their low college tennis teams um for you you sort of mentioned there you got into college tennis coaching and i'm curious how was that experience for you to get to be on the other side to get to be coaching all of these uh kids as they are going through their college years it was awesome it was awesome i mean i actually it was probably, you know, it was one of the uh, the most fun times coaching because, you know, as as coach now, I'm a junior tennis coach, and like with these guys, you know, Alex and <laughs> and I'm sorry, sorry, Andrew, sorry, <laughs> Andrew, Jeez. thanks a lot, <laughs> yeah, Andrew and Mark. So they're, you know, we all we all teach kids, and we, you know, you can't really coach them on the court, right? You got it. You can't do anything during the match, and so I thought it was pretty cool to be able to do that on the court and help them during a match. Cause you know, I had coaches to be honest with you that I thought helped me a tremendous amount. Some coaches, you know, maybe they, or some players may not have the experience that I did in terms of whether their, their coaches helped them, but mine did big time. And, um, you know, I, uh, my, my assistant coach, who's he's the coach at Texas now. And the, my head coach is he moved on to Vanderbilt, but they were both great guys and they, they helped me tremendously. So I, for me, those two years that I college coached was was awesome, and I built some great relationships, and I'm friends with a lot of the guys still. and And uh, we also won an SEC uh, title uh, one year too as a as a coach. So I, I got it's kind of neat to have a ring as a player and a coach, which is which is great. That year we were, I think we finished maybe three or two or three or four in the country because we were we we were pretty good as that. That was one of the you Florida teams. You guys also eliminated my team at regionals in Gainesville that year. <laughs> yeah. That's not surprising. It, but but I will tell you, you were you were on my court, <laughs> and I whooped Dylan Mann's. Ass. <laughs> and I think it was your coach. I think it was your coach. It was my definitely my coaching. It probably was. It probably was. I, I, <laughs> so you're one to know. All right. So you're one to know against me, lifetime. All right. Good. It's all right. We lost. Uh, we. We lost four one that match, uh, and I lost. So I lost one, and yeah. uh, the other coaches won four. That's good. I'm sure he'd be happy to hear that. <laughs> guy hit every guy hit every ball to my forehand, and I have no backhand. So I, I think that's coaching. And then Mark, and then Mark, and then Mark went in Gainesville and blew off some steam for sure after to celebrate his victory. I, I did not go. I did not go home with the team on the. I, I went home like six days later. I'm not lying. <laughs> Uh, that's we believe you yeah and no, that's, that's, yeah, funny. that's yeah, what we do you love to hear and i guess since yeah. it's an all florida podcast i will ask this question and just let you guys kick it around but there's always a rivalry who's got more tennis talent per capita california or florida um you know you guys might be a little bit biased but make the case for florida Well, for me, I think, you know, growing up, it was definitely Florida. 
Um, and then there was some times where in the last, you know, I'd say 15 or 20 years where it wasn't as much, uh, it was back to, you know, it's moved around. Um, but you know, you do get, it's, you know, it's obviously climate has a lot to do with it and you're being able to play outside all year long. And so I think Florida always, at least it, it does produce to produce some, some players because of the competition they're playing typically as what, you know, I like for, for me as a kid and, and, and later, I, I did see that a lot of that had to do with, you know, you're just, you're teeing it up against the best guys all the time. So, you know, it, it, the, the format and the way that things are, tournaments are run now is, is probably made it a little di- harder for that. But, you know, I think Florida's, you know, climate is, it has a lot to do with it. And it's just, I think the tradition of, of being in, in that state, you know, but, you know, if you're looking at South Florida where Andrew, Andrew was for, quite a long time is is that you, you get a lot of he gets to play against a lot of foreigners there's a lot down there you know from different places and so you get to practice against a lot of different a lot of different people so I think that actually is a, is a great argument for why Florida can can produce some players yeah I agree I mean down south I mean you know it's, it's almost like you know Latin America and you know once they get citizenship and stuff like that they're playing in they're Florida kids, you know. So, um, I think now though, probably California, right? I would, I would say, but it's close. It's still close. I mean, Florida and California are the two, in my opinion. I don't know. I feel like it's pretty obvious. I think yeah. you guys are underselling my home state of Michigan, and that's okay. You know, I'm going to allow you guys. I'm going to give you a pass, but believe me, we brew some talent up there. Uh, you'd be surprised <laughs> what can happen in those indoor courts when it's 20 degrees and the ball is just flying. Um, that. Hey, if your if your state isn't its own. Oh, here we go, here we go, here we go. Sorry, I I forgot the powerhouse that is Florida Region Six. It's like, oh, there's so much talent in Florida Region Six. Um, no. Uh, I feel they have the number one. Oh, are you guys? You know what's funny is I threw out Region Six. Are you guys Region Six? That's That's hilarious. Yes. I have no. I have no idea. I have no idea. Yes. That's pretty funny though. I've never actually heard. Uh, that's pretty good. If you're, if <laughs> that's good, that's good, Mark. I, I I'd never heard that yeah. before. I have to use that one. You know, I mean, yeah, Florida's I never. Heard, I just it's made own... it up. It's, it's worth repeating. <laughs> that's good. No, the case for that's Florida, good. you have to make it up. Lock that in. Um, no, I mean, again, uh, we've had some fun here. So a couple more ones, and then we'll let you go, Damon. But in terms of you know, because we like to talk about nutrition and fitness, and you sort of alluded to it. But in terms of in the modern game, in terms of the demands, not only made of the athletes at the Grand Slam level, but even to be a high level junior, to be someone playing college tennis how important uh, is it to take care of your nutrition and to ensure you know you're doing the right things from a fitness standpoint not only just the week of a match but year round i mean it's i mean it's it's massive it's huge i think um one one of the places where it's really big is in obviously the development as a child but when you have a a boy or a girl going through mature that when they're maturing and they're, you know, they're going from in their teenage years where maybe they're, they're going through some growth spurts and they're, um, they're changing, their body is changing. They're going from either a boy to a man or you know, go to a woman. It, it's a, I think it's actually extraordinary. It's a very important in that time frame, big time, because they got to keep, you got to keep doing, you know, physical stuff and keeping your body strong. But when I see the other side too, when they're, the nutrition is bad and you know, that part, um, I see how it impacts them, whether they're not developing the way they should physically, um, or they're, you know, they're tired or, you know, they're not, they're just, you know, and it, you know, it's really, you, to me, uh, as you, if you do it early like that, and this is where I do stress to a lot of my, my students that would coach is that if you can learn how to do that early and that becomes who you are, you know, you start to know your body as you get older and as you become a high, uh, you know, a high high performance athlete, whether it's in college or the pros, you, you start understanding how your body reacts to things. And so the earlier you start, the better. And so that is why to me that age, when they're, when they're just going through puberty and it is so important to start getting that, that, 
that time to get them doing things the right way is to me is very important for the rest of their life. Yeah, no, I think that's completely fair. Um, I would say, you know, again, that's why we are so excited here at Cracked Rackets to be partnered with our friends at Aerobar because uh, we know there just aren't options out there, right, Mark? I want to give you the last word on this topic. Uh, that's that's the whole point of Aerobar to give tennis players an easy option to turn to. Yeah, I mean, honestly, we we've discussed to have the right stuff on the court. You just have to take out, you know. A bag, a bag of nuts and some bananas and coconut water didn't even really exist back then. And yeah, we, we tried to put it all in one bar and make it easy on, make the choice yeah, easy. No, and it tastes damn good too. Well, then my last question for you, Damon, before we let you go, because I heard you sneak it out. You are a pickleball fanatic, it sounds like. So for our listeners out there who are looking to get into the game, make the, you know, the, the two-minute pitch for pickleball. Well, don't uh, don't knock it because of the name because the name <laughs> is, uh, doesn't give the game any any justice because the name it sounds ridiculous and so you know it's actually the high level the higher level thing it, it's for tennis got people that that uh, want to improve well no that that, that that's that's not it, it it's for any level or any age I think actually I have my kids playing it because it helps their volleys and, and but. You know, for someone that wants to play pickleball, it's fun. It's ping pong. It's ping pong on a tennis court, right? And so, playing ping pong on a tennis court, and you know, the better you get, the harder to get, the harder it is in terms of the competition. Um, but uh, you know, to me, I loved it because I'm for tennis players that aren't are done competing after they're done done playing, and they feel like they like they have some sort of competitiveness in their life. I think it's a great it's a great way to go, um, you, and it's uh, it's very physical. You're a competitive yeah. guy. <laughs> Tell us more about that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I should, I wish I wasn't sometimes, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I think we all I think we all are. We wouldn't have done what we did. I guess. I guess we all are, right? You, so. you got it from Gary. Yeah, I did get it from Gary. Yeah, yeah. There was no losing. <laughs> so. Are you more famous as a tennis player or a pickleballer now? To be honest, what, what's going to be your what's going to be your claim to fame? I, I hope it's going to be my 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 my, my tennis. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I hope so. I, I think that's that because it, it's a it's a because it, it's way harder sport and it's uh it takes years to to be even good at it. And pickleball does it. it, it, it doesn't take you as long now if you play tennis then pickleball is easier to pick up uh for sure but tennis is the skill set and that is is years and years and years you know so the the appreciation for the the sport of tennis is is very high so yeah i hope hopefully it's tennis yeah i I would hope that i would hope those three all-americans trump anything you do exactly there are a lot of casual pickleball (laughs) players there are only so many three-time all-americans and i guess my final word on pickleball would be it's very very fun until people start in the kitchen and then it gets a little bit more annoying so you know just none of that and yes. everyone is happy but uh obviously yes that's true i do i, I do it's it, the funny thing is i there's this i saw a shirt that said because uh, this is very prevalent in pickleball is that the guy said had a shirt on it said don't coach me unless i pay you because <laughs> everyone gets free advice and i thought it was a pretty pretty funny shirt but uh no i appreciate you guys uh it's humbling to, to have you guys say say that so it's very nice of nice of you so i appreciate it i don't really talk much about the tennis i uh from a from a playing perspective and you know so it's nice to kind of relive a few a few things there so i appreciate that yeah of course it is our pleasure damon and i will ask you one final question predictions i don't know how closely you're watching it but give me your french open men's and women's singles champions Bjorn Borg and Yvonne Gulligan. Yeah, perfect. Lock that in. That is that's fact. I mean, it's at, given what's happening, why not? I'm in on that. Uh, no, she is a good right. So that's that's a good pick. Gulligan never mentioned one of the game's underrated greats. So I always yeah. appreciate a good Gulligan name drop. But then on that note, Damon, obviously, thank you so much for taking the time to joining us. Hope you stay safe, stay healthy, and hopefully we'll get the chance to check with you again soon. All right. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for having thanks, me. Buddy. Thanks, Thanks, Sam. All righty.
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hope all of you enjoyed our conversation with Damon Hankel. Of course, a huge thank you to him for taking the time to chat with us. A huge thank you, as always, to our friends over at Aerobar, Mark Aerosmith, Andrew Golub. Go to aerobar.com. Use that promo code CRACKED15 and find out for yourself. It's not just fluff, folks. These Aerobars, not only do they taste good, but they really do help. So be sure to go check them out. It's why so many people continue to turn to Aerobar for their source, the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business. Now, of course, there's so much else going on across the tennis world. We're in the midst of our second Grand Slam in six weeks. If you have missed out on any of the action in Paris, be sure to go check out our mini break podcast where we break down all of the play day in, day out. Of course, championship weekend is upon us. Not that many matches left, but to ensure that you are prepared for this weekend's action, maybe you want to get in on it with our friends at DraftKings. Be sure to go check out that mini break podcast. And of course, if you want to hear our picks every morning, be sure to go check out our Great Shot podcast, Ace of the Day. You can also find those in video form on our YouTube channel. And of course, for the daily updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, for the of an any job they do day in, day out. Shout out to our Patreon subscribers, our Patreon family, who make this possible. Of course, it means the world to us to know that we have a support group who will, you know, again, support everything we do. Sometimes we like to have a lot of fun. You like it's Mustache Monday video recording session, and you guys stick with us, you support us, you allow us to do the things we love to do. So thank you to all of you. If you want to join our Patreon family, be sure to go to patreon.com, search Cracked Rackets. Uh, and a huge shout out again to our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use the promo code CR15. Go to Aerobar.com. Use that promo code CRACK15. A lot of fun still to come. Again, championship weekend. We hope you stick with us. You enjoy all of the action with us here at Cracked Rackets. But with that being said, for our wonderful guest, Damon Hankel, my co-hosts, Mark Aerosmith, Andrew Golub, our super producers, Max Fligner, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. You've been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. 